0: Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. One other announcement. My wife just slipped me. It's Timothy's birthday is, I think, the 22nd of this month. So uh, if we could send him a line or something or an email, I'm sure he would appreciate that. Or if you want to put a card, it might not get there in time now. But anyway... 22nd, I think, is Timothy's birthday. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in uh, verse 1, be ye followers of me, even though I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you keep remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of, every, of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For indeed a man for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man... Even so the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man see to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now, the title of the message this morning is, The Divine Order of of authority. The divine order of authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray that you just give wisdom in handling your word of God today. I pray the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenge us, instruct us, and help us to be submissive to his order that he has given in his word and how we ought to conduct our lives in a way that would please him. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you. Lord, we pray that any in our midst who do not have never submitted to the, the uh, themselves to, um, uh, the, under the righteous judgment of God and accepted the fact that they were sinners in in your sight and come to repentance and faith. I pray that the Spirit of God will work there today, and be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, the church at Corinth was probably one of the most problematic of all the churches recorded in the New Testament. There were divisions amongst them, sins of gross immorality. And believe it or not, evidently they had problems with the liberation, women's liberation movement. Now, this is not a politically correct message this morning. But then I never professed to be politically correct. Uh, and the Bible is not politically correct. But, which really this is, the women's liberation movement is an issue of authority. Uh, Many in our day have the false idea that the Apostle Paul and the Bible uh, are male chauvinists and against women. But ladies, just put yourself into the time period that Paul is writing. Of all the cultures in the world, the nation of Israel was the one that gave the most respect to women. And of all the religious groups, if I can use that word religious, groups in the world, Christianity has given the most respect to women. Uh, if you put the teaching, Bible teaching concerning women in its context, you'll find that the opposite is true, that God honors women. And Bible believers have always honored women. They are to be under authority, but being under authority is a place of safety and protection. Think about it. When Naomi was trying to find a husband for Ruth, what was the wording she used? Shall we not find rest for you? I'm going to seek rest. No, words, protection and safety. Rather than she had to go out and slave by herself just to make out living and to exist. No, Naomi said, I want to find rest for you. In other words, be in submission to a husband where she'd be protected and provided for. And so as we think about that divine order of of, of authority this morning, and I must hurry, because we we have a time crunch here today, but anyway, um, I have three points. First of all, everyone is under authority. You know, some, some people have, have this idea, well, nobody is telling me what to do. Look at this, verse 1. Paul says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. You know, some people say, well, nobody told Paul what to do. Oh, yes, they did. I mean, Paul wouldn't have spent time, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, wouldn't have just went to jail just because he wanted to. No, he, he was ended up in prison in a Roman jail because he was under an authority that had instructed him to go out and preach the gospel and because he preached the gospel he ended up in prison. He said, even as I also am of Christ. Now he was an apostle so he had a great authority as a, as a preacher of the gospel even beyond that of a pastor but there are no, by the way, there are no apostles today. But, But you think about it, everyone is under authority. There's authority in the home. In some homes, it's the kids, I understand. And there's chaos and anarchy. Uh, There's authority in the workplace. You got employers, employees. There's authority in nations, in counties, in cities, in towns. We call it government. And there's authorities that, as Christians, we are to obey or submit to. There's authority in the assembly. You know, some people think if they could just get away from authority, they could be free. Huh. So, you know, they might kill themselves, only end up in hell under the authority of the devil. I know I'm being, you know, very blunt here this morning, but that's what it is. They'd be the, under the authority of the murderer, of all murderers, and the father of lies, the devil. You know, some say, people say, well, I just want to be free from the perceived bondage of being in submission, so, uh, you know, I want to just end, the world to just end. Well, you're going to have to answer to God for your bad attitude. He's in authority. You're going to stand in account before Him. You know, the point is, everyone is under an authority of some kind. Everyone. And so, Yet we are under this authority, and Paul writes to them here and says that they were to keep the ordinances. Now, this this word ordinances, you know, when we think of ordinances, we think of the Lord's table and baptism. But the word ordinances here is what's been delivered, or the substance of the teaching, refers to the Word of God. And so we have authority, and the Word of God is our authority for life and godliness. Peter tells us that. Now. So everyone is under authority, but notice also all human authority is delegated and therefore limited by our appointment. Notice again, verse one: "Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ." Now, Paul's saying that they, he wanted them to follow him, but there was a limitation to them following him, even as I follow Christ. You know the word delegate means to appoint to represent. You know, Moses represented the Lord. But he was limited to, his authority was limited to what the Lord told him or instructed him. You know, a delegated authority, their power rests in the one who they represent. For example, an ambassador has great power, he has great authority. But his power rests in the country he represents, not in himself. He can't just do or say anything he wants. Because his authority is delegated. A pastor's authority rests in the word of God. And Paul, as an apostle, again says, follow me as I follow Christ. So though Paul was an apostle, he was appointed by the Lord. He acknowledged that he was still a man and capable of error or sin. In fact, we have some recorded instances where Peter fell into error as an apostle. And Paul had to confront him about it. He erred in any and He led others into error. You know, a husband's authority rests in his submission to Christ. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. The word fit there means proper, becoming, or appropriate, a child of God. If your husband tries to lead you contrary to what God commands you to follow God, not your husband. But you need to have a submissive spirit about it. You see, we are to be in a, and, and I think there's a distinction here that we need to understand. We are to be in submission to authorities, but we are to obey the Lord. Okay, the, the Indian government tells Brother Pratt, you can't baptize in certain states. Okay, who are they to obey? Well, Peter very clearly, Peter and John very clearly give us that instruction. We ought to obey God rather than man. It's not that he's trying to overthrow the government in India or trying to be rebellious against the government in India. It's just in this case that he has a higher authority than the Indian government, and that is God. You know, in 1 Peter 2.17, the Bible says this. Honor all men. That means to, re- to respect and honor all you know to, to show respect to all people, love the brotherhood, and it says this: fear God, honor the king. Now, the word fear is the Greek word is phobio. It's like you know you're, you're deathly afraid. Uh, it means to be afraid, to treat with deference or reverence or obedience. So so if there's a, a decision of of of, of you know, one way or the other, we're to automatically defer or follow God. Uh, the, the word honor is tamao, which really kind of gives the idea of timid. And it means to fix a value on. Now, if you were to meet president, would you be would you be in great fear or would you be a little timid? See, to me, that would be... I'd be a little bit intimidated. Not that I'm afraid he's going to do something to me. But see, I do fear God because he can do something to me. Oh, the president could do something to me if he wanted to, but the only thing he can do is kill me. He can't do anything beyond that. But God has the power to cast into hell. In fact, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So we're to to obey God above any earthly authority. See, when any delegated authority contradicts what God says, we are we have to automatically defer to God. We are to be submissive. The submissive submission is really an attitude, more than an action. It's an attitude. Let me try and illustrate this. I'll go to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, <clears throat> verse. 18 and 19. Acts 4, 18 and 19. It says, And they called them and commanded them to, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered the said of them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, notice this, more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So Peter says, you know, they said you you know, we, you're, you're, This is the council of the the Sanhedrin. They're the ruling body in Jerusalem. And they say, you're not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. And Peter says, well, should we hearken more to you or should we hearken more to God? No, should we really, should we listen to you above God? You be the judge. Do You know what he's doing? He's putting the burden of proof back on them. Because they said they believed in God, and they said they followed God. Now, shall we believe you above God or not? And of course the answer isn't obvious. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. No, we're to obey God above you. Chapter 5, verse 26 to 29. Then went the chief the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that it should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's butt upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, they weren't in rebellion and trying to overthrow the Sanhedrin or anything like that. But God had given them a responsibility and a and a and a job, if you will, to do, and He commanded them to go and teach, and they were to fulfill it. And it says, "So we, you know, we have to obey God. God is our higher authority here." We have another illustration in Daniel chapter three, verses sixteen and eighteen, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, and these Jewish men. You know, they had a good understanding of the fear of God. They knew God's power, but they also knew that they must do what's right, even if God did not do what they expected or hoped. You know, they were were threatened with death, the fiery furnace. And and, and Nebuchadnezzar says to them, look, uh, you know, you need to think about what you have said. And they said, we be not careful to answer thee, O king. In other words, this isn't just something... We do on a whim. No, we've thought this through, but we cannot bow to your image. Now, these were servants. These were men that were servants to the king. They were the friends of Daniel who had been put in a place of high position, and Daniel had brought them in with him, and they had also been given positions of service in the government to the king. They weren't again trying to overthrow the government or in rebellious against Nebuchadnezzar; they, they just simply said, you know we, we'll serve you, king, but this thing we can't do because it offends our God, and they understood that God could deliver them, but they also understood that he might not deliver them. But regardless, like Job, they said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You see, they understood that the king's authority was delegated and that God was a greater authority that they must obey. You know, I had a friend, friend who told his wife that he thought the husband had more authority than God over his wife. As far as I'm concerned, the only kind of husband makes such a statement is very, very full of himself and about as arrogant as you can get. You know, we have many examples in the Bible that, you know, show us, speak contrary to this. For example, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And then Luke chapter 4, verse 26 says, If any man come to me and hate not his father, and his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We're nowhere in the Bible commanded to love our spouse, our children with all our heart, all our soul, and all of our might. Now, we are commanded to love them. But there's only one person that ought to have your complete, unlimited devotion, and that is God. Now, the more a husband and wife walk with God, you know what's going to happen? The more devotion, complete devotion they have to each other because they're walking in agreement. That is what makes a home function the way it's supposed to. And of course, the husband is to be the head of the wife. This is this is again God ordains authority. There has to be order. In the home. God is a God of order. And so I want you to notice thirdly, the the divine order of of authority is given here in verse 3. He says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. So again, this order is not based on custom or any religious teaching, but it's based in creation. If you notice in verses 7 through 10, Again he says, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But notice this, but the woman is the glory of the man. In other words, Adam was created first and he was created in the image of God. Eve was made from Adam's side and created after Adam's glory or image. Now, this has nothing to do with intellect or equality. It has to do with order, the divine order of things. Eve was made from Adam's side, therefore made in his image. The woman was made for the man to be in help meet or help fit for him. Uh, He goes on here and says... uh, Verse eight, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now the phrase there is kind of confusing to a lot of people, but that having power on head speaks of having having authority over her first uh, Timothy two eleven through thirteen also says, But let the woman learn in silence all subjection, that I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. So this has to do, this is based on creation. God's created order. He created man in his image, and from man he created a woman for the man. So it's based in creation. This order speaks also of redemption and the submission of the Son to the Father know this is illustrated in the, in the in the marriage relationship in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. Uh, again, a familiar passage there where the Bible says, "Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord." Not again, "...as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body." Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, Christ was submitted to the Father's will. He laid aside his own will, he laid aside his own glory for the will of the Father. And submitted himself to the will of the Father. The wife is to submit to the headship of her husband and and, and, and husband's will, as Christ. As Christ, and and she will be exalted and praised. You know, the husband who is the kind of husband he ought to be will not have to be a tyrant. Will not be a tyrant, and his wife will find in him that authority to which, in love, she gladly submits. You know, I think of Sarah. Could you imagine, ladies, being Sarah, when your husband comes to you and says, "We're moving," and she says, "Where are we going?" He said, I don't know. The Lord just told me to move. He didn't tell me where we we're going to end up. I know some of you are looking like, you gotta be kidding me. And you know, I, I, I and I I understand you've got to be kidding me, you know. because uh, that's just sounds but she had confidence and trust in him. The Bible says that he would command his household. Out. In other words, he evidently had leadership in his home to the point where Sarah had confidence in him. And did not doubt. But for a wife to rebel against her husband's authority is just as bad as rebellious children against parents. You know, again, this, is the or, this order speaks of redemption and the submission of the son to the father. And it's a divinely established order that God has set up. This order also has a symbol. The divine symbol of submission to God's order is hair length. Hair length. You say, seriously? Yep. Notice verses 4 and 5. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. Look at verse 7 again. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Drop down to verse ten, verse uh, uh, 14 and 15. Doth not even nature, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. Judging yourselves, it is, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman long have long hair, it is a glory to her. And notice this phrase, for her hair is given her for a covering. And that word covering there in verse 15 means a veil or covering, a covering or a veil. So the point here is, he's making is. A man with long hair dishonors his head. And from the passage, who's his head? Christ. Christ. So a man with long hair this is, a, is a dishonor to Christ. A man with long hair is saying, I am in rebellion against God. You know, men that get involved with transgender... You know what they often do? Grow long hair. If you don't believe it, look at—I guess they call him Caitlyn Jenner now. See, short hair speaks a man of being under authority, the authority of Christ, and it also speaks of being in a position of authority over his wife. Now, on a woman, on a woman, again, long hair speaks of being under an authority. Uh, verse 7 says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Verse 10, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of authority. And that word power there means is the idea, it's a sign of the husband's authority over his wife. That is, it's a veil with which propriety required a woman to cover herself. So, when a woman has long hair, of course, verse 15 says, that her hair is given her for a covering. If, If a woman has long hair, what she's saying is, I'm in submission, or I'm under the authority of my husband. Which, if you go back to Bible times... Again, you know, we don't think of it in these terms in our society, but that was a place of protection and safety. Single women in Bible times were very vulnerable people. Very. They were unprotected. In fact, he says in verse 4. Or verse 6, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now the shorn or shaven, you know what that means, so will cut it off. What do we see today? One commentator said this, quote, Having a woman's head shorn or shaved meant different things in different cultures. In Jewish law, it was a mark of adultery. Numbers chapter 5. In Greek world, it could be a mark of a prostitute or lesbian. Unquote. And many lesbians even this day, one of the things they do is cut off their hair. The Minnesota Teacher of the Year took a knee at the National Football, the College National Football Championship during the Star Spangled Banner, during the, uh, I think it was during Star Spangled Banner. And she has a shaved head. She's a lesbian. You know, the world is really proving what the Bible says here. She's in rebellion against man, men, and she's in rebellion against God. And she's displaying it by her hairstyle, among other things. The Beatles. Now, some of you are too too young to know anything about the Beatles. And I was too naive to know anything about the Beatles, praise the Lord. Uh, Too sheltered, thank you, Lord. But anyway, the Beatles were what really brought rock and roll into the 60s and so on. And the Beatles pioneered the long-haired look. And this was written in uh, Stephen Simon's Gender Chameleons, the Adronogy of Rock and Roll, page 29, 30, and 32. And there's these quotes. Quotes, so the Beatles even pioneered the long-haired look. The major impulse behind the rock adronogy of the 60s was, in fact, of foreign origin. The Beatles, the haircuts were so revolutionary by 60s standards, they were viewed as signs of incipient transvestism, unquote. That's cross-dressing. That's what transvestism is, cross-dressing. Another book about the Beatles, quote, says this, Paul McCartney admitted that their role in destroying traditional convention, quote, they were in America, all getting house-trained for adulthood and their indisputable principle of life. Short hair equals men, long hair equals women. Well, we got rid of that small convention for them and a few others. See, he wanted to get, they wanted Beatles goal was to get rid of the short hair on men, which speaks of authority. By the way, which speaks of the patriarchal authority that women's lips so despises nowadays, and the liberals so despise. But, you know, it's really coming back to bite them. With all this transgenderism and women's liberation, women saying they're equal, and all of a sudden these transgenders want to play in the sports with the girls, but they can beat them with no problem. And girls can't win anymore. Well, What's the problem? Aren't they equal? No, the point is they're not equal. They're not created the same. See, we need to just accept what God says. Fashionista said this. A fashion history lesson was titled in the article, The Bob Haircut Feminism's Ultimate Style Statement. Regardless, quote, regardless of when it originated, bob hair was certainly ideal for the lives of rebellious young women in the 1920s. For one thing, the simple bob haircut perfectly complemented the sleek, tubular silhouettes that dominated women's fashion during much of the decade, and the length ensured that hair wouldn't interfere with any wild dancing. I mean, this is article was written in 2017. However, the trend for short hair was certainly met with its fair share of controversy. For many conservatives, the appearance of bob hair signified that the women were, uh, gasped, trying to act like men by going against traditional gender roles and beauty standards. Bob hair became associated with the shocking behavior of the woman, young women who drank alcohol, wore makeup, and bared their knees. Bob hair was a permanent s- signifier of a woman's rebellious nature. Despite the controversy, many women were happy to embrace the haircuts perceived connected to feminism. In 1927, actress Mary Gordon told Pictorial Review, quote, I consider getting rid of my long hair one of the many little shackles that women have cast aside in their passage to freedom. Whatever helps their emancipation, however small it may seem, it is well worth while. So when the Bible says that it's of rebellious nature, even the world agrees that's what it is. You see, there's a symbol that God gives in his word of submission. In a man, it's short hair. In a woman, it's long. You know, God made them male and female, and he wanted them to be distinctly different. And he has a divine order that is has been undermined and destroyed, practically destroyed in our country. In all this chaos we're seeing, not just in the homes of America, but in our colleges and our universities and in the streets, you know, in government, it's all a result of this rebellion against God's order. Nobody is telling me what to do. You know, for a person to come to Christ, you know what they have to accept? They have to accept the fact that I'm willing to let God tell me what to do. So, the question I have for you this morning is have you submitted to God's authority? God's authority. You know, that God's authority may be a husband, it may be a father, it may be government, it may be an employer, it may be a pastor, but are you submitted? Of course, it may be the Lord himself, but have you submitted to the Lord's authority?